Too cruel. She don't know what she's doing. She don't know what she's doing. Yeah, she does. She knows exactly what she's doing. I've swum here every summer in my adult life. Every summer, there she is. Oh, 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 and one day, it became too much for Michael Squints Polidorus. I can't take this no more! Move! And he did the most desperate thing any of us had ever seen. Did you plan that? Of course I did. 
been planning it for years. You guys can't fly out here. No one knows what's Michael Squints Polidorus walked a little taller that day, and we had to tip our hats to him. He was lucky she hadn't beat the crap out of him. We wouldn't have blamed her. What he'd done was sneaky, rotten, and low. And cool. Not another one among us would have ever in a million years, even for a million dollars, had the guts to put the move on the lifeguard. He did. He had kissed a woman, and he had kissed her long and good. We got banned from the pool forever that day, but every time we walked by after that, the lifeguard looked down from her tower, right over at Squints, and smiled. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Andy! Yo, Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 148, The Sandlot. All right, I'm geared up and ready to go. I feel like that was a lot of pre-show talk there. A lot of ground covered. I feel like you were talking really fast there. Well, full disclosure, sometimes we record multiple episodes in one night. I needed a little break. We're running out of time. I need to unwind a little bit between. That's the thing. We're also on a clock here, so you're like, all right, I got to get some other thoughts in before we do the show, but I got to really speed it up. (laughs) Well, it's getting late at night. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get into it, I guess. (laughs) I'm with you. 1993... The Sandlot, co-written, directed, and narrated by David Mickey Evans. He co-wrote it with a guy named Robert Gunter, kind of an unfortunate name. Can I start by saying I probably saw this movie for the first time in 1995 and thought that it was way older. You know what I mean? Like, you, I have no gauge. Like, when I was, like, a kid watching movies, mm-hmm. I didn't remember The Sandlot coming out, even though it was only, like, a couple years later. Because when it came out, I was six. Right, I mean, that makes sense. Right, right. I think it's like one of those movies that for years I thought it was made like... Even though I knew it it wasn't made in the 60s, obviously, where it takes place. I think I thought it was made in like the early 80s. Well, the fact that Mike Vitar is basically the same age as he is in D2. Okay. That doesn't clue you in. So certainly years later it did. (laughs) But I did not even realize, which I want to talk about this, but not till later. But, like, I, I did not realize that Benny the Jet and Luis Mendoza were the same person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't recall seeing this in the theater. I probably didn't. Right. But I, and I say saw about, it shortly thereafter. I think probably by the time, like, 96 rolls around and I'm seeing, like, the big green. And I'm yeah. like, wait, that is definitely the catcher from... Well, yeah, I mean, he's pretty yeah, recognizable. Right. I'm not saying that, like, I went on into, like, the <laughs> mid-2000s and was like, The Sandlot came out in 83, no question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was definitely older than you, so when I saw it, I probably was aware that it was pretty current. Yeah, yeah. But it's become a cult hit. It was made on a $7 million budget. It only made 338 at the box office, which is a nice haul. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Right. But 
estimated 76 million plus on VHS and DVD. Oh, wow. How about that? So anytime you think like, oh, movies lose money, movies don't do great, flop, bomb, whatever, just keep in mind that they always are selling these movies to other territories for money. They're selling them to cable packages to air later, plus a huge market on VHS and DVD, which now is drying up, obviously, but they're still streaming. Oh, I think so. Rights and all that shit. Movies can be very lucrative for the most part. <laughs> Shocking statement. <laughs> this movie took a $7 million investment and easily brought back well over $100 million. And it's just a little kid's movie about baseball. Yeah, but I feel like it's a movie for all of us, really. That's true. The one thing I will say, when you talk about these kind of like sports movies, and we already referenced it a little bit with like Mighty Ducks and Big Green and everything, the thing that... With this one, for me, I almost feel like it's like one of those movies meets Stand By Me, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you compare it to Stand By Me, which feels like a real movie that feels legitimate, whereas this, there's something about this movie to me where I'm just like, they're pretending to be in the 60s. Okay, I yeah, never sure. fully buy that they're in the 60s I'm at any you. point. But to be fair, both movies have uh, scenes where like throw up is very involved. You know, yeah, puking. that was definitely a big thing with kids' movies. Right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that puke going. But also, like you know, Plus, the best there's summer a lot of, of my life. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of anachronistic moments in this, though, and that means like there's things that don't fit the time because the okay, time yeah. is all over the place. I agree. There's cars in it that. Granted, they're not like 1990s cars, but they're cars that definitely came out after 62. There's things in it that there's logos and shit that didn't exist till 62, past 62. I think at the end, there's an Atlanta Braves thing. They hadn't moved there yet. So one of the things that I was thinking watching this, especially this time around, Dennis Leary, who plays Bill. Yeah. How fucking old is he? He does not really look that young in this movie. I mean, he's pretty old. He's got to be in his 60s now, right? I would think, probably. Okay. He's married to Karen Allen. Yeah. Which, if you remember from the Scrooged episode, right? Yeah. Big fans. Yeah, yeah. All right. Before we jump into the actual movie, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Been a little bit more engagement on there. Oh, wow. Okay. A little bit. I'd like to hear that. A little bit. Yeah. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review. Rate and review. You know, there's downloads been have been strong. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, there's some ratings out there more so than we thought. Yeah. I mean, this has been a big summer for the show. We did our first ever One Trashy Summer. We have a lot of big heavy hitter episodes. And I do think that there are certain listeners that definitely enjoy when we tackle more family friendly, oh, right. fair kids movies. It's always funny to look at these movies in a different <laughs> yes. light as an adult. Right. This was a classic movie night that I attended a few years ago. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I think they did it again this year. It might be one of their staples that Probably. they do every year. Yeah, like Jaws. It's always yeah. going to be a summer movie. I think they did this one around the April or so, like the kickoff of baseball season. Right. Although I do associate it more closely with July because of the 4th of July sequence Same. and everything. but. You know, it covers the whole summer. So the Sandlot is set in the summer of 1962 in the San Fernando Valley, although they filmed it, I believe, in Utah okay. and other places. <laughs> Scotty Smalls is the new kid in town. 
So you saw the film shortly after its initial release on VHS. What are your general feelings of the film? I love it. <laughs> You're at a love uh, level no. with okay, this film. Let me, I will say I think my relationship with it has changed over time. When I first saw it, I don't think I loved it that much. I didn't. It was certainly not a Mighty Ducks for me. Yeah, it's never been a Mighty Ducks for me. Right. And it was never one that I would watch all the time. Ne- never. I think it's more so something that I like now. Like, I, I think I have more of an appreciation for, like, the setting of it and everything. I, I love, like we said, just that, like, summer feel of kids hanging out, having fun, you know, having their little misadventures. Love the Wendy Peppercorn stuff, obviously. Two of my all-time favorite songs, This Magic Moment, and There Goes My Baby in the same movie. For me, it's this weird blend of very trite, hackneyed, fake-feeling moments, but also very real, genuine, fun moments. So it's like, sometimes I'm like, ugh, this feels so fake and not like anyone's real experience Absolutely. but then there's other parts where i'm like this is great and i love it there's a couple, so it's, i don't know how to even feel about I, it I, I agree with you 100 percent. there's a couple of parts there's a couple of scenes that i absolutely love i don't care how cheesy they are but then there's sequences that follow it that are like so silly that i just i don't even want to watch it yeah it's not even the silliness which i do dismiss outright I yes mean, the silliness is annoying right but that's it's a kid's movie yeah, i can get is, over okay, it it's so more like there's just a it's very it feels unoriginal it feels like a okay. photocopy of a photocopy of a memory or something it yeah. doesn't feel like a real experience at times i think I, I can get behind the smalls benny relationship in the way that smalls kind of like really looks up to him and like Benny yeah, I mean, they the, all look up to him. Well, I know, but Benny being, like, the cool kid taking him under his wing. I don't know. I, I definitely think there's a charm to that story that I can get behind. Originally, the Sandlot was going to be called The Boys of Summer. Oh. Which they changed. Saw I mean, there's a black flag sticker on a Cadillac. There's some baseball books called that. I mean, it wasn't an original idea, obviously. There was a song by Don Henley yes. and a lot of baseball literature. So they went with a different direction. I think The Sandlot works better because it feels more their own. And we'll get into this maybe as we talk about the movie, but the idea of The Sandlot is interesting to me. It's like, where is this? It's a (laughs) utopia in the middle of a neighborhood for these kids. The kids were supposed to be much younger originally. Pretty early on in the casting process, I think David Mickey Evans and some of the casting people and the producers, they realized... This stinks. Not going to work with little kids, like yeah. eight and nine. It's just not going to happen. Now, we'll get to this more when we get to the end. That timeline maybe makes a little bit more sense for things that happen later in the film. Or, okay. As in yeah. the ending of the film. All right. But whatever. It made for a better movie and a better casting process, I think, to have 12 and 13-year-olds, especially when you factor in the Wendy Peppercorn scene, which would have been really insane if you would have thought that squints was like eight years old yeah i, I agree i mean is that a scene you even can include because then it would have been really bizarre right <laughs> the first kid that they saw was mike vitar who ends up playing benny and they're like yeah this is what we needed right this makes much more sense it was a dangerously hot shoot in utah 110 degrees wow often people passing out it's like those high school kids doing two a days in the summer heat except when it was very cold. Oh, wow. When they filmed the pool scene, it was 56 degrees. <laughs> and we are going to circle back to that because I think that actually adds to that scene in a weird way. 
but we'll come back to that. The film okay, opens. I think I know where you're heading with that. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And it's and pretty obvious, and it right. makes it seem better in yeah, a yeah. weird way. There is one all-time greatest moment in the history of sports, and it happened in the 1932 World Series. The story goes that in the bottom of the ninth inning, with two outs, a full count, and the tying run on base, Babe Ruth raised his arm and pointed to the center field bleachers. No one believed it because nobody had ever done it before, but the Babe was calling his shot. On the next pitch, the great Bambino hit a towering 400-foot home run. And even although he'd been a hero before that, that's pretty much how he became a legend. 30 years later, a kid named Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez became a neighborhood legend. It was in the greatest summer of my life when he taught me how to play baseball and he became my best friend and he got me out of the biggest pickle I'd ever be in. The film opens with narration from an adult, Scotty, as he prepares to do play-by-play for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I guess for the sake of this movie, we're just ignoring legendary Hall of Fame broadcaster Vince Scully. <laughs> but okay, I'm not really sure what that. Smalls is doing here. I can move on from that pretty quickly. <laughs> in this narration, he tells us about Babe Ruth calling his shot in the 1932 World Series. Babe Ruth looms large over this film. Absolutely. It's a big part of it. And The Sandlot was certainly released within, but also at the tail end of, this country's love affair with baseball, the romanticism, the mystique. I'm sure we touched on these ideas in yeah. the Bull Durham episode. When I can remember, well, it ended the next year, the baseball strike. Oh, wow. See, I still remember growing up in like, you know, going through like the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. Well, that brought thing. it back temporarily, but then it killed it again with steroids. Okay, yeah. Yeah, people thought, oh, this is bringing it back. Right, Because right. they basically had to cancel the World Series, which had never happened before because of the strike. And people really turned on it. It was really down for a couple of years. Then the home run race happens. Right. Everyone comes back. Baseball's popular. And then all of a sudden, all the steroid shit started oh, creeping yeah. into it. A lot of people knew without saying by the time Bonds was breaking the record a couple years later, everyone's like, well, I feel like yeah. something's off here. And then, you know, it starts of coming course. out and coming yep. out and coming out. And baseball has never been the same and it never will be the same. And people don't care about it in the same way. But I can remember being a kid in the late 80s, early 90s. And there was this weird obsession with baseball. And baseball was like almost this magical thing that had this seemingly endless history True. that you were immediately confronted with. And so the idea that these kids and just that idea in 62, of like America's pastime that seemed like it carried on for generations. Yeah, the idea that these kids in 1962 would still be obsessed with a player that had retired a couple of decades earlier and had died shortly after, Babe Ruth, makes sense. Because I knew who Babe Ruth was when I was their age. And well, yeah. I was 30 years later. And it does work in a way that, it, like, it makes it seem in fucking sane that Smalls would have never heard of Babe Ruth. Yeah. I, I think, okay, yeah, I want to touch on that, too, about Smalls and his childhood and everything. I, yeah. I think they do a reasonable job explaining it, even though it is very unlikely that he right. would be this way <laughs> in, <laughs> in a lot of ways. After this opening narration of Smalls as an adult in the broadcast booth for the Dodgers, we flash back to that magical summer that he's talking about 30 years after Babe Ruth called his shot. So we're talking about the summer of 62. 
Scotty and his family moved to the area two weeks before summer vacation, which is kind of a rough beat. That's not ideal because you get introduced to everybody, but then school's over. The best scenario would be to move in probably right at the end of summer vacation. So you get the whole summer mostly with your old friends, and then you're right at the beginning of the school year. And then you can work on it, getting new friends. Yeah, and then... I definitely, I, I moved in the summer between like, I mean, older than these kids, but like between ninth and 10th grade. And that was like mid to late summer. Not a lot to do once I got to the. Yeah, yeah. that's why moving like right at the beginning of summer or right at the end of the school year is t- hard because it's like, oh, yeah. it's going to be hard to make friends. I mean, moving in school, like when you're growing up is just fucking brutal anyway. Yeah, I never really had to do it, so. I mean, the plus side is everything embarrassing I did before is just like, whoosh, clean slate. <laughs> now I can start a whole new... <laughs> These kids don't even know I shit my pants <laughs> in fifth grade. <laughs> his family is him, his stepdad, Bill, played by Dennis Leary, and his mom, who doesn't have a name, <laughs> played by Karen Allen. Yes. He's looking for friends. He sees some kids. He follows them to this place, the Sandlot. It's like this utopia as i described it it's just a field that seems to be tucked in between houses it's, yeah, the it's... only way i can think to explain it is it was like a little league field but it's kind of gone out of commission but it's still like you know a public park or something but just no one really uses it well yeah it's like right? a parent and adult free zone yes. that's a crude baseball diamond formed on an abandoned lot maybe conveniently tucked into the neighborhood right because it's not like they're going on different streets. I mean, they're basically just walking like a block from where Scotty lives. Yeah. I mean, it's just like right there in but between there houses. But is like a baseball-shaped fence like behind home plate, right? Like a baseball field? Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, somebody made a baseball field, but I mean, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about an abandoned lot because it's just between houses. Right. Okay, yeah. There's just houses at least in the outfield, and, and I assume behind them. Or you don't really ever get like, like a big... old park that had residential built around it yeah maybe okay the kids there play an endless dream game but they only have eight so this is kind of a bold move by scott he just shows up with that shitty glove and he's just standing there he doesn't know anyone he's never talked to any of these that people is nuts. he just goes there i can't imagine trying to make friends ever in my life <laughs> but like doing this and, and you never have right i mean friends. by the way my biggest fear pretty much comes true for him he's like i'm gonna try this i'm gonna put myself out there this is exactly why you don't put yourself out there. Just completely <laughs> humiliating. Yeah. Fly ball hit out to him. It's just a disaster. He falls down. Tries to pick the ball up and throw it, and it's just like everyone is like, oh, my God. <laughs> Everything's a this disaster. Kid His is hat terrible. is the worst. Oh, I know. <laughs> that brim, that like bill of so the hat long. is so long. He's when he's going to like pick up the ball from like the shrubbery. He's like, "Don't be a goofus! Don't be a goofus!" Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yelling at himself. Right, literally, I'm sure the kids can hear him yelling that. Yeah. <laughs> now I will say, and we touched on it in the Breaking Bad episode on the bullying a little bit. It's just like these kids are fucking insane. The things that they're saying to him. Yeah, they are super mean. I was trying to basically like figure out if openly... I felt like that was real or not. I I mean, I guess it was kind of real. But just, like, how much they openly talked about how much he sucked, and not just at baseball. <laughs> at making love to women. <laughs> exactly. Just, like, living life. Scotty can't catch or throw. He's this lost cause. He runs home. But 
I did think the scene with him and his mom was weird when she was like putting this pressure on him. Oh, like, yeah, I thought that too. She was like, you need to make friends. Have you made any friends yet? I was like, geez, mom. Yeah, cool it. <laughs> Let me be a loser on my own. I know. She puts pressure on her husband, who is not Scotty's dad. Yeah, she's trying to make Bill. it work. She's like, hey, why don't you play catch with him? Teach him how to throw and catch. So then they have this catch scene together. She's like, oh my God, this kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, it's hard to get a read on Bill in this movie he because tries. there's not a lot of development with the adults. Yeah. But You get the feeling like they didn't have the best relationship. Yeah, but it wasn't like bad right, either. Right. It was just non-existent, yeah, yeah. really. It was just like this presence. I love in the like house. later in the movie and stuff when fucking the mom is just like, you know, Bill doesn't like you to touch his things. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> thanks, mom. Well, that felt very of the '60s. Yeah. That was probably pretty believable. Like where parents were just like, fuck off, right. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, yeah. They weren't nice. To oh, the sorry, kids Dad, ever. that I'm touching all of your trophies and memorabilia. <laughs> you fucking loser. You jock sniffer. Yeah. <laughs> they do a pretty good job of explaining why Smalls can't catch her throw at this point in his life. He has this dead dad. He is an egghead, <laughs> etc. Right. But when you think about it, it does make sense that the kids were originally supposed to be younger because. If by this point, this age, he hasn't learned how to throw, hit, catch, do any of this stuff, then the movie would be more about him learning to do that, and it would not happen so fast, True. which is what ends up happening. Right. Where It's almost an afterthought at a certain point that he can just do this now. Yeah, yeah. They don't really address it for that well, long. Well, Benny's sort of like, you know, the Jedi master of baseball, so he can just kind of like... Yeah, I mean, know. I agree with that, but I think the idea of Scotty at this age just this baptism by fire being like thrown in like hey you just after one day where all he did really was put his glove in the air and then benny hits the ball into it then all of a sudden he can do everything that you need to do yeah at this point he's now in disgrace he's humiliated (laughs) himself in front of the only kids he's seen sure his stepdad thinks he's a spaz because he couldn't catch and the ball ends up hitting him in the face he's a black now that glove that he's using is just awful garbage it's like a plastic fake looking glove that he got from his grandma or something but benny as we pointed out is the star of the neighborhood the local legend already oh yeah and of course there's like this parallel to babe ruth because he talks about how babe ruth by 1932 was already this big star and hero but then him calling his shot in the world series bottom of the ninth made him this legend and so like benny is already the star and this hero but then we're going to build up to this moment that makes him yeah, yeah. this legend. Which I love this stuff, by the way. All the stuff with the Benny build storyline and the Babe Ruth <laughs> comparisons, this is what makes the movie for me. One scene makes the movie for me. It has nothing to do with Benny or Babe Ruth. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If that scene wasn't in this movie, we wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> oh, wow, okay, all right. Yeah, you're more down on the same lot than I am, I think. No, I mean, I think that gets it over the line. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not saying it's a disaster without that, but, like, without that, <laughs> okay, I yeah, mean, I'm I don't know you. if I'd yeah. have that much interest in it. All right. At this age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than Babe Ruth was when he probably called that shot. Then when Actually, he, he died, probably. <laughs> Close. Yeah. Close. He, I think he was in his 40s. Okay, so Benny goes and gets him. He throws Smalls this lifeline. He's like, I know that he was, like, a jerk-off, but... We need a ninth guy. Benny is always preparing for this career as a baseball player. He's right. like, I need, to, I need to rotate all the positions. Yes. 
it took me forever to even figure out what that even meant. I'm like, well, what couldn't he still do that even if they only had eight? Like, I was like, I, I, right. I don't know why they needed the ninth for him to do that, but whatever. Well, that is true. They, I mean, they don't really. Yeah, but he wants to have like a full team, yeah. which really only makes sense for one part of this movie yes. when they play another team. But right. other than that, I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. And I mean, this whole thing where Benny like isn't playing on the actual team, like the real baseball team that exists in town. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe he was. Oh, oh, you do? But I don't know. Okay. What's that scene at the very beginning? Who's he playing with? Because the Sandlot kids like run off the bench. Remember when he's in that rundown at the beginning of the That's movie? That's true. You're right. Yeah. It seems like they're playing in a school. Yeah. But they're not wearing uniforms, though, so I don't know what's happening. Okay, that's a good point. But I maybe, I mean, he's so good, and the other, the Little League kids know him. That's true. How could he not be playing for us? He just a plays team? baseball all the time. <laughs> okay, so we meet the gang once Benny goes and gets Smalls and brings him into the fold. I grew up in a neighborhood in Massachusetts, like, playing sports, like, kind of every day with, like, the neighborhood kids. Yeah. We play football, basketball, like, street hockey, like, whatever. Wiffle ball in the summer. But, like, playing pickup baseball is a fucking pain in the ass. You, like, never have enough people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you need nine just for one team. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when are you going to have 18 friends? Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, come on. Plus. Get real. It's... Playing baseball or softball with your friends is potentially super dangerous for the pitcher. It's like, oh yeah, the line drives just go flying. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's never sure great. Okay, so the gang consists of Smalls. He's played by Tom Geary, who we know from things. He was in Mystic River, Black Hawk Down, U five seven one. I think he, he's on the show like the Black Donnellys or something. Yeah, he's just been around and worked pretty consistently. I will say he's terrible in this movie. He, I hate <laughs> Smalls. Yeah, yeah. He Smalls does stink. Acts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh. you can see him acting. Oh, for in sure. This, yeah. And it is like painful. Where a lot of the other kids, even if their characters are a lot bigger and louder, seem a little bit more natural. Yeah. Like yeah. I buy even like yeah yeah or squints and like how yeah, weird yeah. they are. Right. Like I I kind of like yeah I I think that feels real. Whereas smalls i'm like oh my god sometimes maybe it's just because he's <laughs> no. like so annoying yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah benny the jet well he's not the jet yet but benny oh, benjamin franklin rodriguez <laughs> played by mike vitar he was also luis mendoza in d2 and d3 yeah and i don't i knew i wanted to bring this up at some point i didn't know, really know when i was going to but it's, it's so crazy for me i mean in this movie to me benny the jet a fucking legend and then it's like a couple years later or whatever that he's just like the ninth best player on. He's the, like a fourth on, liner. Yeah, on like Team USA, <laughs> it can't even fucking stop. I, I mean, did think it was weird that this is the kid that pickled the beast. <laughs> I did think it was weird that speed was his main attribute in both movies. Oh, I know. Was that racist? I don't know. Well, and it's like Luis Mendoza, Miami, Florida, like a ton of fucking speed hockey players in Miami. I know. Which I'm sure we touched on in the D2 episode that we did. No, I'm sure we didn't. Oh, so long ago. <laughs> There's a lot of silences in between. <laughs> episode one. Right. So Mike Vitar, he stopped acting in 97. Recently I had some legal troubles. Oh, boy. <laughs> involving like an assault or something. Yeah, well, it happens. Not a sexual assault. It wasn't Good. tied yeah. with like Me Too or anything. But I don't know. It just was on his IMDb. Hamilton Ham Porter, played by Patrick Renna. He was in that soccer movie, The Big Green, a couple years later in 95. Oh, yeah. 
He's just been a character actor, not hugely successful, but you'll see him Still pop up. Still has all the that time. very distinct look. Even he was in to this Glow day. season two, That's which right. we just talked about on this podcast not that long ago. Michael Squints Paladoris, played by Chauncey Leopardi. Classic character in this movie. Occasional actor still. He was in like Casper, Father of the Bride. He was in nine episodes of <laughs> okay. Freaks and Geeks. So yeah, not much. I mean, a lot of that stuff is pretty old. He Just was the only one that appeared in either of the Sandlot sequels from the original cast, which is gotcha. kind of disturbing. To think yeah, about, that is. That he's yeah, the only one. I think he was wow. in three. None of them were in two because it was like all new people or whatever. Alan, yeah, yeah, McLennan, played by Marty York. Twelve total acting credits, but still gets out there from time to time. I okay. think there were some that like were that. still into like late into the two thousands, like recently. Every once in a while. But only twelve total since ninety three. <laughs> yeah, getting called up to the bigs. Kenny De Nunez, played by Brandon Quentin Adams. He's the pitcher. He was in the first two Mighty Ducks. That's right. I believe Jesse he's not Hall. in D three though. I don't think so. And he well, was actually I can't remember. People under the stairs, the uh, Wes yeah. Craven movie. I don't really think he acts very much anymore. One of the more interesting ones, Bertram Grover Weeks, played by Grant Gelt. He wasn't in a ton of shit, but at the end of the movie, oh, right. he's, he's the character that gets caught up in the 60s. Well, the his way, last acting yeah. credit was the TV miniseries, The 60s, which aired in 1999, starred Julia Stiles and a few other people. I just thought that was very interesting that he acts up until then. It's called The 60s. He never acts again. And in this movie, when they give the update at the end, they say, oh, he got really into the 60s and no one ever heard from oh, him. Oh, right, yeah. He also played a character named Harv Dorkman in Saved by the Bell, the new class. Wow. <laughs> I will say, like, the end of this movie also very Stand By Me feeling. Yeah, they yeah. ripped a lot from Stand By Me, which <laughs> came out before this. Timmy Timmons and Tommy Repeat Timmons, played by Victor DiMattea and Shane Obedzinski, okay. respectively. Victor stopped acting in 95, save for a random 2018 appearance in something that you've never heard of. Wow. And Obedzinski basically stopped in 93, like right after the Sandlot. He was like, I am done. Save for a 2017 random oh, one-off. Wow. <laughs> These two both just popped up in something in the last couple of years. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So the first practice with the boys starts rough for Smalls. I mean, most of the kids don't want him. There is that childhood cruelty that you're talking about. Out. Yes. I mean, they're just being dicks. <laughs> they're calling him a weenie. <laughs> Guys, this is Scott Smalls. Hi. Yeah, um, well, he's going to play with us because he makes nine, so now we got a whole team. We're wasting time. Let's go to the stand lot. Daddy, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Why'd you bring him, Benny? Because there's eight of us and he makes nine. Yeah, yeah, so would my sister, but I didn't bring her. With nine guys, we got a whole team, yeah, yeah. No. With Ellswinger, we had a whole team. Ellswinger could catch and throw. Come on, Benny, man. He, he ain't game. You saw the way through? Yeah. You already fill up all the empty positions since Ellswinger moved to Arizona. Right, and now I get to rotate eight positions instead of seven. I need the practice, guys. You're the best on the team. You don't need any practice. No, you don't. You're the best, man. Come on, Benny, man. The kid is a L7 weenie. Yeah, yeah. Oscar Mayer, even. Footlong. Dodger dog. A weenie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 Laughing at yeah, yeah. You 
swimming like a duck. Kiki, but I'm... I'm... Part of the game, right? Mm, yes. Now, how come he don't get to be? Because he's a geek, man. He can't geek. catch. Man, face up, you blockheads. Benny is basically Smalls' guardian angel. He's the only one who wants him there. He's trying to help him every step of the way. I mean, that's the thing. It's like Benny just seems like such a genuine, pure soul. Because, I mean, it's like what reason? They kind of build in like he talked about, like, oh, we need nine people to have a full team. But Benny is, like, really going out of his way for this kid. Yeah, when they're doing their thing where he just hits the ball to different positions and calls out what to do or whatever, he goes to small second who's playing in left center and left center of course it's almost a repeat of the first time around he can't catch the ball he falls down he tries to throw it he decides not to he just runs it into the infield the other kids are losing their minds at this yeah so then benny runs out there and he just tries to give him a quick tutorial and he tells him how to throw like when to let go of the ball like how to wind up and throw (laughs) and then he's like all right we'll just put your glove in the air and i'll do the rest and he basically just hits the ball right into his glove well this that's the thing this is the first part of the movie where we actually kind of figure out that benny can kind of do magic yeah a little bit right but the biggest magic trick is the fact that smalls just learns to throw and catch pretty much instantly from this moment on Well, that's all it took he just needed the confidence boost yeah the movie certainly glosses over any potential growing pains when it comes to learning baseball and 20 minutes in to the film, Scotty is accepted and then that's it. That's not what this really is about. We do get the origins of the thumbs up Yes, in this moment, right. though, which will come up later. Let's talk about home run balls and the beast. So this is another magical element to the film, the fantasy of a kid's imagination, local folklore, that kind of a thing. Smalls' general ignorance of what the Beast is and everything prompts the gang to not only explain it to him, but call for a camp out, which leads to a lot of other memorable moments. But When I was watching this, I was thinking that he had already seen this dog. Or there was well, like he a, heard the dog. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which I don't understand why he doesn't isn't scared of that later, right, it, when he thinks he's just going to hop the fence. Like, exactly, I Didn't you hear the yes. thing earlier? Right. So basically, the outfield has a fence as a baseball field does, and beyond that fence is a yard, which is like a former junkyard or something like that, and there's a mean junkyard dog who prevents the kids from ever getting any ball that goes over the fence. Right. It's just accepted, and so if anyone hits a home run, they're done for the day because they can't do anything about it. One of the early days of Scotty playing with these kids, when I believe Ham hits the home run, Scotty's like, oh, I'll just get it, while the other kids aren't really paying attention. And then <laughs> he's about halfway up the fence, right. and they, they come running out to <laughs> yeah. stop him. They're like, what are you doing? Yeah, you dummy. Is this where we get the squints story? Well, that's at the camp out, okay, yeah, which yeah. is what they call for to explain everything. I don't know why the camp out was <laughs> we necessary. Can't tell you here. Let's meet back at the clubhouse tonight. <laughs> so they have this treehouse, which is, I guess – we decided pre-recording that it's on the field of play right. in the outfield. It's almost like well, yeah, the we hill had to draw some pictures and like in the uh, Minute Maid or whatever they call it in Houston. Yeah. That little hill. S- someday when this show is like really taken off and we're auctioning things off on eBay, like one will be like the little blueprint that you drew <laughs> of the field yeah, and where the, the tree is. Right? Yes. So there's this big treehouse. 
I think the size of the treehouse seems a little unbelievable to me. Well, that all these kids can comfortably be in there. This is like uh, just a '90s trope of kids having like these great hangouts, I aspirational mean, hangs. Right. I, I mean, like I remember the Little Rascals movie. They had a big clubhouse, and like when you go on later in this movie and they're like doing all these things to try to get the ball back and building these crazy vacuum devices and everything. And it's like, I, I remember again, like the little rascals, it's like these kids are building a fucking go-kart. Yeah. When I was a kid watching this stuff, I was just like, man, these kids seem like they're living like awesome lives. Yeah. I do think that we've brought this up right. in past episodes, whether it was like camp nowhere or whatever, whatever ones uh, honey, it was. I shrunk the kids. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Just like these, fantasy lives that other kids on tv shows and movies were living where they had cool things that you could never have or they had cool hangouts you could never have just different things and it was almost like a kid's equivalent of like having a hot wife or having (laughs) a nice car or a big mansion or something but like kids were interested in like this kind of cool shit yeah yeah like oh in blank check like the cool shit that he could buy it's like that's such a kid's movie it's like of course that's like he buys like bikes and super soakers and shit you're (laughs) like yeah this is great well yeah but i mean it's like even this idea of these kids all staying out at this treehouse like we're gonna spend the night up here no adult supervision yeah no parents care yeah well that's another thing that they seemingly took from stand by me that's true yeah And then she made me do the dishes. Oh, your poor little mommy made you do the big fat dishes. Hey, you want a s'more? S'more what? No, no, you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? You're killing me, Smalls. These are s'more stuff. Okay, pay attention. First, you take the gram. You stick the chocolate on the ground. Then you roast the mallow. When the mallow's flaming, you stick it on the chocolate. Then you cover it with the other end. Yeah, me too. Then you scuff. I don't like that chocolate. Kind of messy, but good. Once in the treehouse for this camp out, there's the famous s'mores scene, yes. which is the first time Ham says, you're killing me, Smalls, which right. is one of the more memorable lines of the film. Those are the little moments. That's an example of one that make the movie feel more real to me. It's like, well, that seems like an original funny thing, yes. like a moment. I do think there's some good ones. I do think in. Smalls is unbearable, even in that exchange. Absolutely. You just want to slap him and just be like, How are you not up. getting this? It's almost more unbelievable to me. I believe more that he's never heard of Babe Ruth than he's never heard of a s'more. I don't know how prevalent they were in 62, so I have no idea. But it's more just like his way of reacting to things. He's being so obvious about the fact that he doesn't get it, but it like intentionally. It's like, yeah, and he does it in a second, too, whenever right. Squints is going to launch into his whole thing about, oh, it's asleep now. And he's going to tell the story about the beast. And he's like, what is? And you're like, dude. Five days ago, you had zero friends. Just shut up and listen. Just be fucking cool, man. Yeah. Why can't he ever be cool? No, he doesn't have that. Right. 
So Squints launches into this origin story of the beast. The legend of the beast goes back a long time. For any of us could even pick up a baseball. Back to a place called Myrtle's Acres. It all started about 20 years ago when thieves kept stealing junk from Myrtle's Acres junkyard. So Mr. Myrtle, the guy that used to own the place, got him a new pup from the dog pound. He fed him whole sides of beef and turned the pup loose in the junkyard. And the pup was grateful. to the beast and he grew big and he grew mean so that he could protect the junkyard with only one thing on his mind to kill everyone that broke in and he did and he liked it a lot the beast was the most perfect junkyard dog that ever lived a true killing machine but after a while the cops started getting phone calls from people reporting all the missing thieves the ones the beast had killed. It added up to about 120, 173 guys. It's true. They never found a single body, not one. Some people say they all got away, but we all know what really happened. A beast ate them. He ate them bone and all. The beast was too good at his guard dog job, so the police said he had to be retired. My grandpa, Squigman Palladores, was police chief back then. When he ordered Mr. Myrtle to turn his backyard into a fortress and chain up the beast and put him under the house where he could never get out to eat children and stuff. And that's where he's been for 20 years. And that's where he'll be for the rest of his life. Because when Mr. Myrtle asked the cops how long he had to keep the beast chained up like a slave, they said until Forever. 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 And so the beast sits there under that lean to, dreaming of the time when he can break the chain and get out. Dreaming of the time when he can chase and kill again. Every time he like launches into it and it goes into that black and white flashback thing, I'm always like, oh god. But like by the yeah. end of it, I'm like, yeah, okay, that wasn't that bad. Right. And there are definitely worse parts of the movie. But it's just that initial, like when it first is starting, you're just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the stuff with the dog gets on my nerves. Well, like how fake the puppet dog is at true. times. Or you're yeah. just like, oh. Now, I mean, when I was watching this last night, I was thinking to myself how great this movie is just because it really just keeps moving along. I, I just think every scene well, is like Up until cool. the big thing, which let's be honest, okay. One of my major complaints of this movie okay. is there's way yeah. too much narration. All and right. the narration just keeps repeating the well, same shit. Well, I was kind of getting like a Wonder Years vibe and over. from that, you know? Well, he keeps saying, like, and I got us into the biggest pickle that any of us had ever seen. He says that <laughs> yeah. so many times. You're like, I get it. Foreshadowing. All right. <laughs> you said it moves along. And yeah, it does. And up until. They get to this biggest True. pickle. Yes. It's just a series of vignettes. And they happen very quickly, I think. 
Well, yeah, I just mean there's no real plot. It's just a bunch of different things happening. And that actually works so much better than the story, which kicks in like basically for the second half of the movie. And I think like almost drags the whole thing down. But this first part where it's just like, okay, here's a part about him making friends with these kids. Here's him learning how to play baseball. Here's him on the the camp out, him learning about s'mores, him learning about the beast. Then we're about to get into Wendy Peppercorn. It's right. just like one uh, thing after the, another. Like, even when we got to the pool, I was like, wow, I can't believe we're already at like the pool part. Yeah, it's just like a highlight reel of like big, important moments over this course of the summer. But then eventually it just, you know, it yeah. turns into this whole It is crazy thing. that I'm so defensive of this because it's... You don't oh, even like baseball. Yeah, that's true. And over <laughs> the past... I've watched this movie twice over the past five years. Before that, it probably was ten years before I watched it again. I think part of it is, and this is a fairly accurate comparison, and he was doing it in a positive sense, but to me it's always negative. It's uh, Roger Ebert called this like a Christmas story for the summertime. Which that makes me not like it. And you know I don't like a Christmas yeah, story. That, I, I don't, yeah. All right. And I, I do I can, see it a little bit. I can But this see is it. better for, for me. I mean, it's yeah. way better. I, okay, Christmas story just annoys me. All right, same. This has elements of that, but it also has a lot of good stuff. It does too. have Christmas story elements. I will agree with that. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's get to the main event. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about Wendy Peppercorn, played by Marley Shelton, who Which, people may know from Planet Terror or Never Been Kissed or yeah. Bubble Boy or Sugar and Spice, and she was also in Scream Four. She's so, basically worked yeah, consistently and, and I ever have, since. Like, recognize her when I see her in movies. But not as Wendy Peppercorn, you know what I mean? Like, well, she was young. I mean, she was like eighteen true. at the time. Like when I, yeah, like when I saw Planet Terror at the time. And yeah, like, yeah, I know. I was you weren't thinking this is Wendy Peppercorn. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I knew Marley Shelton like the name. I'd yeah. seen her in movies, and I was like, I know Marley Shelton. I don't think there was ever a time where I like scroll. Once through. you realize it, and then go back and watch it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that is her. Right. It looks like her. But yeah. like, yeah, she looks young, and she's done up in like '60s hair and '60s yeah, yeah. makeup, and in the most crucial scene she's wearing a 60s bathing suit i mean she looks from another era well plus i thought like the sandlot came out like 40 years ago so (laughs) you actually thought this was released in the time of babe ruth yeah yeah (laughs) this was one of the first talkies (laughs) the first time we meet wendy is when squints and yeah yeah are leaving the drugstore and she's just walking down the street the musical cues for wendy are always songs by the drifters which i love yeah, it is great. Yeah. I love how whenever Squints and Yeah Yeah get to the Sandlot and they're like running late and Benny's like, where were you? Yeah, yeah, it's like Squints was perving a dish, <laughs> which is like the best description I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm just like, that's incredible. Well, yeah. I'm like this kid is a genius. Spot on. <laughs> perving a dish. <laughs> and they are perving her because the camera definitely zooms in on her ass as she like walks across the street well, they which i thought was notice. a little wild for a kid's movie well, <laughs> i think it gets a lot wilder in today's climate <laughs> where you guys been we've been waiting here forever already ah squints was perving a dish shut up i wasn't yeah yeah you were your tongue was hanging out of your head and you was swooning Oh, Wendy Peppercorn, my darling lover girl. I said shut up. Got a lot of things on my mind. The next time we see Wendy is later that same day. On a particularly hot day, the boys visit the community pool. Yeah, it's like 100 degrees out. They're all like, 
I don't really want to play baseball right now. I'm wearing fucking jeans. Yeah, they t- <laughs> For some reason, we have to. Our baseball uniform has to be jeans. <laughs> well, they couldn't afford baseball pants just to play. Yeah, in. I know, but you know, like mesh shorts would have been fine for like a hot. Yeah, I don't think people really wore that kind of stuff in '62. Like kids. I yeah, mean, it, what, probably not. Your, your parents were buying all your clothes, and they probably don't want to just buy like play clothes. I mean, right. they wanted jeans that you could wear. For anything, basically, I get I'm it. A guessing. I mean, they probably all wore mostly the same clothes every day. So I, that's the I thing. Imagine. We're all wearing jeans. It's a hundred degrees out. Benny, I don't want to play baseball. Let's go to the pool. And Benny is really like, guys, we gotta play baseball today. <laughs> but the one thing that he's okay with is the pool. Yeah. So Michael squints Paladoris has a crush on lifeguard Wendy Peppercorn, and he ends up faking drowning in order to get her to administer mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Well, hold on, you're blowing past this. <laughs> We're going to go back. Okay. The Sandlot team is banned from the pool, but Squince's reputation is boosted. That's like straight from yeah. Wikipedia. Let's really dive into it. I'm assuming most people have seen this movie. I, think, I think they yeah. know wh- right. what this scene is. I know, is. I know. But like some of the things that Squince is like saying and the way he's acting like leading up to it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I was fucking losing it. The temperature, this is what I wanted to circle back to, which we talked about at the beginning, was only 56 degrees. Which is a huge swing from where it was other days where they were filming. I mean, that's a 50 degrees change. Oh, yeah. So they were freezing cold in this pool. And it helps make this scene because, yeah, everybody's teeth is chattering. Everyone's shaking. But, of course, the, you're focused on squints. Yes. Especially if you've already seen the movie and you know he's doing most of the talking and you know where this is headed. And so watching his teeth chatter and him shake makes you think, He's nervous. Oh, yeah. And, like, this and, is all building towards right. this. As, like, a guy, when you, like, are younger and you want to talk you to a make girl, a you, like, yeah. it's, like, you get it. Like, you're all nervous and Full shit. Full body shakes. Got all this nervous energy. <laughs> now, I just love that, like, just the build of it, though, where you feel like something is going to go down, but the way that he's acting, I mean, obviously, we have, like, the famous, like, lotioning and oiling thing, but, like, when he just starts being, like, I can't take it anymore. Yeah, the anger. Yeah. (laughs) So relatable. Most relatable character like ever from anything. It's how dare she be attractive. I can't take it anymore. The whole thing where the one says she don't know what she's doing and Benny's like, oh, she knows exactly what she's doing. That's like line for line from Cool Hand Luke. Okay. And when the guys in Cool Hand Luke are on like a chain gang and they're working on the side of the road and they're by this house and this blonde bombshell comes out to wash her car. Right. And it's this whole process of getting all soapy, and she's all wet. <laughs> At one point, she's, like, literally rubbing her boobs. It's like a De Palma movie. On the window of a car. I mean, not her bare boobs, but, like, right. you know, wet T-shirt and everything. I get it. And in a weird way, even though this is an homage to that scene, I feel like this is more believable and realistic. That scene almost feels silly in right. cool hand looking she's so over the top that you're like this doesn't even feel believable yeah like why is she i mean i guess like it, it could happen and you know she's putting on a show for these prisoners but what wendy's doing seems very normal and their reaction to it also seems normal yeah so like in a weird way i, I almost believe this build-up more than i would believe the cool right. hand luke thing She's putting on her suntan lotion and the oil, and she's <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're just like, oh, she knows exactly what <laughs> she's doing. <laughs> it is just like a normal act. Like, she is a lifeguard. She's sitting out there in the sun all day. She's just casually applying suntan lotion, and they're just like, how dare she do this to us? crazy. <laughs> the humanity. 
Squints hops out of the pool. They're like in the shallow end. He like gets out and he's walking around the length of the pool. Everything he does is hilarious in this build up. Like his right. facial expressions are hilarious. He's doing that like goofy smile. When he gets up to the diving board and he's like waving to Wendy, which I always was like, yeah. every time I watch this, I'm like, why does he do that? It feels like he's giving himself away by doing that. But he's like, I want to make sure she notices I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> because I could die right. doing this. <laughs> which would totally be worth it. He jumps into the deep end of the pool. All of the other kids know he can't swim. They're like panicking, trying to rush over. And Wendy dives from her lifeguard tower in and pulls him I out of the water. I guess just because she sees them reacting. Yeah. She's not even looking when but he she jumps react- in. But she like acts on this pretty quick. Like she puts, yeah. I guess she's able to just put that together. I mean, I mean, what is she thinking? Like, this kid just attempted suicide or something. Right? Well, that's the thing. Because he doesn't even try to swim. He's not even thrashing. <laughs> he just jumps in and just falls straight to the bottom without moving. <laughs> Which I don't really feel like is, like, what drowning would be like. But Yeah, there'd be a lot more thrashing about. Yeah. I always thought it would be funny, too, because she pulls him out of the water and she, like, gets some help from some male lifeguards who help, like, pull him up while she's hopping out of the pool. And I was like, it's a pretty big gamble on Squince's part that it wasn't going to be one of those male lifeguards that just launched into the mouth-to-mouth. Because they're actually right there. That's a good point. And she's getting out of the pool. And they just hold off. And she's like, all right, I'll do it. Or what? You know, she's just like launching into it. But like, it actually would have saved more time if they all knew how to do it that one of those other guys would have just launched into it because she had to get out of the pool first. Yeah. They're wasting valuable seconds. Right. (laughs) David Mickey Evans, the director, had one bit of instructions for Chauncey Leopardi playing Squints. <laughs> Keep your tongue in your mouth, you oh, understand? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. I feel like it's pretty hypocritical to write this scene. Uh, well, it is and crazy. then demand that he's not going to take his chance. Because <laughs> I'm sure all those kids were in love with Wendy oh, Peppercorn. Absolutely. These kids, they seem pretty young, but they were definitely at that age because... I guess when they were filming The Sandlot, the whole little cast of kids snuck off and snuck into Basic Instinct. Oh, wow. Which we just talked about on this podcast. Holy cow. Because they would have been filming this in 92, obviously. Yeah. And it, it is an insane movie to think that these kids are watching I know, it. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. You think about these kids like reacting to like her oiling and lotioning, and then you're just like, imagine this same group of kids just seeing... Like, Sharon Stone's vagina. Yeah, not wearing underwear. <laughs> Yeah, they all came right out of that basic instinct screening, and they're all horned up before they filmed this scene. Yeah, they were just like, Wendy who? (laughs) Wendy was based off of a real lifeguard, I guess, named Bunny. Wow. (laughs) The real character seems more absurd. Wore the same kind of bathing suit, I guess, David Mickey Evans. I don't know. He seemed to base a lot of characters off of people in his life, and we'll swing back to that at the end, because this movie was at the center of a lawsuit. (laughs) So when... Wendy is performing the mouth-to-mouth. After a certain amount of times, there's that moment where all the kids don't know what he's doing, all the Sandlot kids, and so they're all scared. And then she is blowing into his mouth, blowing into his mouth, putting her head by his heart, I guess, to like listen to see if he's breathing or or whatever. So she's like taking her head away, taking her head away. And then like finally... At one point, she pulls her head away, and he just has that smile on Which his Which I do face. love this part. I, what I like about it is it's not just the Sandlot kids reacting to this. There's another male lifeguard there. 
everybody. There's right. tons of kids around. They're yeah. all just like, wait, what? <laughs> Where is this heading? It's all like slowly dawning on them what's right. happening. They're like, oh my god. Which again, I mean, this is one of those things, and you know, we talk about it every episode. I feel like would be very frowned upon today. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this magic moment starts. It's true. And I'm gonna tell you this, and this is a big revelation because I watched this. I think three times in preparation for this episode. Yeah. I got tears in my eyes every single time. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. I was having, like, an emotional reaction to this moment. I, I was like, I don't understand why I think this is so emotional. <laughs> it's such a weird moment to, like, fixate on. I mean, yeah, it's fun. It's triumphant. But well, you like... talked earlier about the adult male fantasy of, like, the hot wife, the mansions and everything, and then, like, the kid fantasy. I mean, this is, like, worlds colliding right here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instant legend. Yes. But, I mean, yeah, today it's, like, Wendy's hashtag me too, <laughs> tweeting out about squints. And well, and yeah, and I mean, I think, obviously, like, where it heads with their relationship is kind of... <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely want to bring that up, too, once yeah. that's revealed at the end. But I also thought it was funny that all of the kids in the, their Sandlot team were banned forever from the pool. <laughs> and I was like, what are the logistics of that? So let's say, like, one of the other kids... One of the minor characters, like Timmy or something, 35 years later is bringing his kids to this pool. And they're like, you know what? No. You were friends with that kid with the glasses that made a move on the lifeguard. You know, I'm sure, like, the administrative people and the lifeguards that work at this pool are going to stay there every year. Well, it's handed down. It doesn't matter. They're (laughs) on a list. Yeah, they put their pictures up at the pool. They get updated school pictures. (laughs) They're like, never again. Well, of course, you know, when they're all leaving, there's one more. Okay, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So Squints hangs around for a second, and Wendy gives him one more wave. Yeah. It's almost too much. You're almost like, it would have been better if it was more subtle. Right. But she does it in a way, like, I'll give it up to Marley Shelton. She does it in a way that is still kind of funny. I think so. Where it's almost, like, reluctantly annoyed but also kind of like blown away yeah by everything that right. just happened like i can't <laughs> believe that this kid just did this yeah and like kudos almost yeah let's be real okay so yeah if you were to take this completely seriously and be like oh this sends out like a bad message or whatever and that's true i mean this is yeah something that you shouldn't ever do and it's not and really appropriate i, I but- can't imagine any fucking kid dude ever having the balls <laughs> i know to this do movie this. is almost 30 years crazy. old i don't really think there was a run of kids trying this right, in real life no. I think this is just like any other wild fantasy from a movie that could never happen. You know, it's just funny because it's a movie. I don't think we have to beat ourselves up over enjoying a moment like this. Because I I saw this movie when I was a kid. I definitely had crushes on older girls. I would have never done anything like this. I would have been scared to death. Uh, Yes. (laughs) So it's not like you see this and then you imitate it or whatever. And... I don't know. I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, it's just a kiss anyway. It's not like he grabbed her body or anything, really, or anything. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with He's that. a little kid. I know. Fourth of July, that's the only time they play a night game all summer because of the fireworks lighting up the sky. Right. I, and I like when Benny comes to get him, too, and they walk outside, and there's just like this like block party going on. I think there were a lot more block parties. That's back what I was then. thinking, too. Like yeah. I was like, you don't really see this happening too much. That anymore. definitely felt like the Wonder Years or something. Yeah. I do like the scene. I mean, it, nothing really happens. I mean, it's just like almost oh, no. like a this montage like of a the... scene, but it's like it's also acknowledging in this moment through the narration that they that's... know that Benny was destined for something more. And that's definitely one of the moments in, in the field that I just like 
the ambiance of it or just the aesthetic of just like that midsummer yeah. when you're a kid. This just kind of like resonates with you. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it is the highlight reel of the greatest summer of your life. Right. Following the fourth, the Sandlot kids are then challenged by a local Little League team who play on a real field and have real uniforms. It's easy when you play with a bunch of rejects and a fat kid, Rodriguez. Shut your mouth, Phillips. What'd you say, crap face? I said you shouldn't even be allowed to touch a baseball. Except for Rodriguez, you're all an insult to the game. Come on! We'll take you on right here, right now! Come on! We plan a real diamond porter. We ain't good enough to lick the dirt off our cleats. Watch it, jerk. Shut up, idiot! Moron! Scab eater! Butt sniffer, yeah. pus licker, fart smeller. Yeah. <sighs> you eat dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mix your weeds with your mama's toe jam. Yeah. You bob for apples in the toilet, and you like it. You play ball like a girl. What did you say? You heard me. Tomorrow. Noon. At our field. Get the buffalo butt breath. Count on it, pee-drinking crap face! Yeah! Let's go! This scene almost feels like unnecessary, but it kind of just fills out the movie because True. it's like there's no stakes to this it's game. The only conflict, I guess, is the Sandlot kids just kill them. I know, just which makes no sense, <laughs> really. But you're just like, okay. Up. I mean, I do love. I mean, you know, you have the famous build-up scene to it, and the you play ball like a girl. Yeah, that's funny. Which I also think like wouldn't play well now, but it's like I think even then it's like kind of absurd. The diss is just like absurd, and the kid's like crying. It, it's partially to do with the times, yeah. but also more to do with their age, right? That they would think that that's like the ultimate. Diss. But I do think that there's some funny parts with Ham when he's playing catcher. You know, <laughs> your talking sister shit. naked right in the outfield. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jesus, that's weird. Right? How old can his sister be? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Most... I, I guess I just always pictured her to be like a college age sister. <laughs> yeah, but you know that she isn't, so it's weird. <laughs> Most movies, I think, would build towards this being the big moment, and they would have built towards this game, and this game would be suspenseful. And okay. Yeah. That would be the whole thing, like the Sandlot kids proving that they're just as good, better than the organized kids. Who definitely, it feels like there's a maybe wealth part of it too like these sure like the richer kids they don't explore anything like that but right. yeah you do wonder what is delineating because as yeah. you said it's like well does benny play for the team it's What's... like the socius and the greasers you know yeah <laughs> they couldn't just pick like one movie to steal from <laughs> it had to be many i'm just kidding i mean there are definitely some shadows of stand by me but I, it doesn't i don't really feel like it's stealing that much okay after beating the real team they have a celebratory chaw at a carnival. Which I do love this. Of course, they just really start, like, chewing it. I like the kids that act like... <laughs> we know what we're Smalls, doing. you fucking idiot. You don't yeah. know. And, <laughs> and then, then proceed just... to just chew it like it's food. Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to swallow it? <laughs> now, the association with chewing tobacco and baseball, definitely an interesting one. I remember when I played baseball, 
growing up and into high school even and like I got to like ninth grade and would go to like my high school baseball practice and like a bunch of the kids on my team were like chewing (laughs) and like at that point I was like what the fuck yeah it does become that thing where it's just like you just do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do there's really no real reason oh I know it's just like a lot of baseball players did it I guess at one point, and, and then just it just like, became this is a, a baseball thing. thing. Yeah. I think it had to do probably when cigarette smoking was way more prevalent, well, and true. so you couldn't really just sit out there and smoke. Yeah, <laughs> but you could do that, right? Probably, I don't know. No, that's probably true. It joins the cinematic tradition of great puke fests yep. as they all start throwing up. Puking and chew do go hand in hand. I mean, I've had I think so some experiences with people, right? Someone you know. <laughs> From an old job. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so easy to mess up chewing, really. Especially, well, your first like, time, it is like a rush that you're not expecting. Well, yeah, and feeling. plus, like, you know, you're trying not to, like, swallow any by accident, you know? Yeah. Any of the times that I did it and was, like, nauseous, I don't think it was because I was swallowing it. It just was like you're not prepared for that feeling sometimes. Oh, it is intense. Because it's yeah. a lot. It's like... The equivalent of like nine cigarettes or something. It's like a lot of nicotine all at once. Oof. And especially your first time, you get like real dizzy and sick from it. And then the, all of your, the times after that, you're basically chasing that feeling and you never get it again. Yeah, that's true. Like everything else. Right. <laughs> it's never as good. Yeah. <laughs> the chewing tobacco they used was made of licorice and bacon bits, which I have to say sounds pretty would gross. Also and it make seems me throw like up. it was making them sick. Like I don't think they actually threw up true, for real, yeah. but they were all disgusted by it. The vomit was a mixture of split pea soup, baked beans, oatmeal, water, and gelatin. The only thing I don't like about it is all of their vomit looked identical. Yeah, and there's too much of it, probably. There's always too much of it. It's like a tidal wave of it that hits like a group of people. (laughs) An ocean of vomit. So after all of these things, the Wendy Peppercorns, the 4th of July, the Little League, we finally get Get, to what the movie has been building to. Right. This giant pickle that the older version of Smalls has been talking about in his narration over and over and over. Yeah, you're right. It's like there is no real conflict in the movie or anything up until this point. Like, of like yeah, we have f- like our little mini conflicts. But up like- until this moment, the movie's a lot better, and it would yeah. almost have been better if this was like a Linklater movie. Like, oh, everybody yeah. wants some or Days and Confused, which was right. just a series of events. True. Not really worried about some plot, because once they get into this whole plot, I have to say that like my interest decreases a lot. I mean, I get the stakes. I mean, the stakes are there, and I get them. It's just oh, I don't really care. Okay, so yeah, that does detract <laughs> from your enjoyment. Bill goes out of town on business for a week. That's how it starts. Then there's an omen. Benny, while playing in the sandlot, knocks the cover off of a baseball, which they all take to mean something. Yeah. We don't know what. But. Benny is more practical. He's like, well, that means we have no ball now for right. the day. Yeah. So Smalls gets this brilliant idea. He's going to steal Bill's Babe Ruth baseball autographed by Babe Ruth because as has been established throughout the film, Smalls doesn't know who Babe Ruth yeah. is and doesn't understand the significance. Sure. Now, you would think that it's probably not worth taking this ball off a fucking mantle. No matter yeah. what. Again, maybe this yeah. made more sense if the kids were like eight. Right. If he's like 12, it's like, what's wrong with this kid? Yeah. He doesn't understand that this could potentially be a bad idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so he brings this ball to them, and 
I guess no one notices or pay, or really looks at it, and they just throw it around for a minute. And Benny's like, "All right, well, your ball, you get first ups." And of course, Smalls then hits his first home run. Yeah. Now this was a kid that couldn't throw a ball three feet at the beginning of the movie. The bigger thing to me, well, this is yeah, obviously he hit a home run off to Nunez, who is always the pitcher and seems pretty decent. But minor league ball. You, they show Smalls hitting some ropes in that game against the Little Leaguers true, and slide yeah. into second right. and stuff. And I'm just like, this kid yeah. is getting hits off the real Little Leaguers? This weenie? <laughs> L7 weenie. <laughs> okay, so the ball goes over the fence. Oh, no, the beast. It's gone. The other kids, of course, don't understand at first, and he has to explain to them, and they're like, you know, what? And he's like, well, it was signed by some woman named Baby Ruth. And they're like, what? <laughs> the the great Bambino, and th- this is a name they have used to call Beirut throughout the film. And That's the he's same never, guy? Yeah, he's never associated that this is the same person. And so, what the fuck? Now we gotta get this ball back. So the next huge chunk of the movie is dedicated to a series of misadventures and contraption building as the boys try to get the Babe Ruth ball back. Some of their plans are very elaborate, as yes. you alluded to, with these contraptions, especially the one that they build that Ham is controlling with his legs. That's so true. That, right. Who is that? Is that Yeah Yeah, who's, I guess, the smallest? Yes. Although Squint seems smaller than him. That they're but like Squint lowering is always him. like the lookout with like his cereal box yeah. spy thing. I don't even know what you would call that. Yeah. I did find that funny, his way of saying things like, Pull it up. Right. Like he's no, always like, yeah. yeah, this is working. He's like, the pipe, it's pinched. <laughs> Reel it in. Yeah. He's always like so happy, even <laughs> though it's like, you know, about to be a disaster. Right. The beast destroys all of these different things that they build. At one point, the beast appears to swallow the ball. Yeah. Like when they use that catapult thing. Right. And then it looks the like, last it one that seems the like it's going to work and Benny's going to catch the ball. Yeah. And then, yeah, he just like. But I guess up. not because. Right. It's available later. I, I there's a well, little inconsistency. Come out the other end. <laughs> wow, that would be a painful experience, <laughs> even for a dog that big. Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> I don't think there's gonna be much give on that baseball, so that's a lump <laughs> all the way through everything. <laughs> I don't think that's coming out the other end. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. He threw it up. I yeah, I don't even know if he could actually swallow it. But obviously when we see the real dog, we understand that that dog's not going to swallow a baseball. Absolutely. The fake dog head that they make jump up in the air is huge. (laughs) It looks like the fucking dog dragon from the NeverEnding Story or something. So they're about to give up. They don't know what to do. It's just like, look, Smalls, you're just going to be killed. I mean, (laughs) we can't get this I mean, this movie literally should end with Bill burying (laughs) Scotty in the backyard. But that's the thing. I mean, this is a dedicated group of friends at this point. It's like we have put a lot of effort into trying to get this ball back. Kids need a project. That's true. I I can't think of a specific example, but I do remember times where there's such a relief when the stakes are not on you. That's true. That you're willing to just kind of go along for this ride and be like, all right, yeah, we got to do this. Because you know, like, well, if we don't get it, I'm just going to go home. (laughs) And that'll be the end of it for me. Like, I don't have to deal with this. (laughs) There's, like, such freedom in that that you're almost willing to. (laughs) So they're about to give up. They don't know what to do. 
Bill could be back at any time at this point. They're not really sure for some reason. I don't know. So Benny ends up having a Babe Ruth dream. Now I'm all in on this. I love the Babe Ruth scene, and I love the the scene that follows it. It is kind of a weird. What's move. the scene that follows it when he just jumps over the fence? Yeah, but like the build up to that. Okay. Now. It is kind of a weird move that they pull here because they actually show Babe Ruth like several times in this movie in footage and everything. And then the right. guy they have play him looks nothing like Well, that. now they could just you know, like get a hologram or something right. to yeah. make it look like Babe Ruth. Yeah. I forget that guy's name. It's like... He's stuff he appears and stuff. Yeah. It's like Art LaFleur or something. Yeah. That's, that I think is? that's right. Yeah. The Babe tells Benny to hop the fence and grab the ball. Just do it. Yes. And Benny is like, okay. And then they have this whole conversation about heroes getting remembered, but legends never die. You'll see it on t-shirts from time to time. On his way out, Babe Ruth takes that Hank Aaron baseball card and slips it into his pocket. Hey, kid, can I have this? I don't know why, but... And I was like, well, how far along into his career was Hank Aaron by 62? And he had been playing for for a few years by then and would go on to play until like the mid-70s, basically. yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, eventually, Hank Aaron breaks Babe Ruth's home, right. home run so record. So a little wink here. Yeah. Which we like. But it's then the next morning, and I love just, like, Benny reinvigorated by the stream, showing up, grabbing smalls, like, let's go, and then... Putting on the new PF flyers. Oh, I love that. Shoes guaranteed to make any kid run faster and jump higher. They actually had stopped making those shoes well before this movie came out, and then they reintroduced them for a while, I guess, after this movie. Oh, okay, yeah. PF flyers. Yeah, that's cool. Everyone's wearing, like, Chucks and PF flyers. There's, like, no Nike or Reebok or anything like that. I love the way that they glorify the PF flyers and everything. On a practical level, these shoes do not look athletic at all. They no, like no, but they didn't really, running. you know, they didn't really know. Right. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just them or the Converse or whatever. I mean, there wasn't right. like basketball shoes or running shoes or, or anything special but that I, like were readily available to people. I just love that Benny just has to do this. Through the Babe Ruth dream, through this scene, through him actually like jumping over and having like the showdown with the dog and getting it. I love all that part. And then once it gets like, you know, the dog starts chasing him and it gets all like. The chase is a bit much. Right. I like after the chase with. I do too. Mr. Myrtle, but we'll get to that in a second. Benny jumps the fence, but after he jumps back over with the ball, the dog follows him over the fence and this chase ensues. And so this is the first time we've seen the beast as an actual dog because we've mostly just seen this giant puppet thing. Right. Which is so big and crazy that you're like, well, there's no dog that actually looks like this. (laughs) The Beast is an English Mastiff. He looks like, a little bit like Beethoven, Uh, but Beethoven's like a St. Bernard. Okay. But a big dog. A little scarier looking even, because it doesn't have as much fur as a St. Bernard. It doesn't have that fluffiness. The chase sprawls all over town. Yeah, it loops all over the town, including this movie theater, which actually seems more like a gymnasium. I'm wondering if... When they were filming this in Utah, they couldn't find a theater that looked like a 1962 theater. And so they were just like, fuck it, put it in a gym. Right. Because they wanted to have him jump through the werewolf movie. Okay. It was like a real Wolfman movie with Lon Chaney and everything. Yes, yes. And the dog jumps through it. I guess they probably had that scene in their head. But then I'm guessing they couldn't find a theater that looked right. Either that or maybe they had a memory of them showing movies in a gym in their hometown. Yeah, it could be. 
but it just seemed odd to me. It seemed really low rent for a major motion picture. <laughs> like true. it seemed very say by the bell or something. Yeah. <laughs> Two shots in the screen. <laughs> it also goes to the pool, although no Wendy Peppercorn sighting for this pool moment. Yeah. And I, I found that disappointing. The best would be if like Benny was trying to run into the pool while this dog is chasing him and some fucking security guard just like clotheslines him and is like, you are banned, banned for life. Then there's this weird Founders Day celebration seemingly included just so that they could have a giant cake get flung into the air and then land on these two guys in like ridiculous chef right. hats. This is where the movie goes like full blown Mighty Ducks. This is kind of like when Mighty Ducks would do those like rollerblade sequences either like through the mall. Right. Or, you know. Yeah. Well, I felt like this was almost more like something that would target like a lower age demographic, like Little Giants okay. or something, or like yeah. even like Little Rascals or something like. Uh, right. So like goofy and yeah, like, oh, here's true. a giant cake going in the air. Not great for me. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> the same people that were having like a visceral reaction to Wendy Peppercorn are now yeah. like recoiling in horror <laughs> at this. <laughs> Finally, the giant dog chases Benny back to the Sandlot. Benny jumps back over the fence. The dog goes through it somehow and then the fence just decides to collapse and lands on top of the dog yeah benny and smalls pick up the fence to free the dog after smalls is like help me he's hurt yeah (laughs) it's like oh shut up seriously i know it's like smalls why don't you just give him the ball back the grateful i guess and friendly dog then takes the kids to a stash of baseballs. Whoa, heaven. I mean, they like, like, we could play forever. Slobber all over them. They're some just... of them looked kind of new looking. Okay, yeah. I would say some of them are certainly unusable. Yeah, but I think like these kids are used to using like really shitty stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think any baseball for them is good enough. So they decide to knock on the door to let the guy who lives there know that they have their dog. I don't know. I guess because since the fence is knocked down, the dog right. broke its chain yeah, and everything. Yeah. I guess on the set of the movie, the kids were all very stoked to meet Darth Vader, and they thought that was really cool. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I, I didn't even think about that. Come on in. We'll talk about this baseball. Come on. You're in trouble, aren't you, son? Yeah, well, uh, that was my stepdad's ball. I took it without asking. It was signed by Babe Ruth. George signed this? George Herman Ruth? Yeah. I take it back. You're not in trouble. You're dead where you stand. Hold on. trade you that's really nice of you but that ball really is signed by babe ruth so is this one with the rest of the 1927 yankees man murderous row lou gehrig babe ruth but why would you trade that one's all chewed up 
I got a lot of good stuff. Look at that stuff. Besides, you need it more than I do. George? I sure did. And he knew me. He was almost as great a hitter as I was. And I would have broken his record, too, but... You went blonde. Yep. I used to crowd the plate so that strike zone almost disappeared. <laughs> Pitchers hate that. That's the way I played. 100% all the time. Baseball was life. And I was good at it. Good. And then one day, a high fast one and pow, the lights went out. I don't think we could take this ball. I'll tell you what. You guys come by here once a week and talk baseball with me. We'll call it an even trade. Turns out that Mr. Myrtle, played by James Earl Jones, Used to be a baseball player himself and even yeah. played with the babe. Actually, kind of a sad story. He was blinded by a fastball to the face or to the head. Crazy. Yeah, which seems really wild. This, of course, sparks some interesting discussion because they have this photo of Mr. Myrtle with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And it's actually like a retouched photo of those legendary Yankee players with the player Jimmy Fox. Okay. It's a famous photo that can be seen in many baseball texts. So this begs the question, like, well, what's the deal here? Because at the time that Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig played, they didn't have African-American baseball players sure. in Major League Baseball. Sure, so my mind. What is the story here? Well, as everyone knows, Jackie Robinson did not break baseball's color barrier until 1947. Babe Ruth retired in 1935. Wow. And he died in 1948. So what's up with the picture? <laughs> well, the film very delicately breezes by how this picture could be possible. It is possible. However, they don't really ever get into it. You okay. know, they're not like, hey, what's the deal? I'm interested. Major leaguers used to barnstorm in the offseason with players from the Negro Leagues. According to John Hallway, a Negro League historian... Ruth played against Negro Leaguers in Cuba, all over New Jersey, and out west in Kansas City and St. Louis. Cuba? Yes. So, yes, Babe Ruth did play with African-American players, just not in Major League Baseball games. Not when he was, like, on the Yankees, but in right. the offseason. Yeah. So that would have to have been when he crossed paths with Mr. Myrtle. Okay. But like I said, they... I'm on board. They decide not to get into all that yeah. in the movie. Because, <laughs> yeah, they have, like, Benny, like, questioning Mr. Myrtle. He's like, how is that you? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And Myrtle explains it. So they tell Mr. Myrtle about the Babe Ruth ball, and he's like, George signed this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so he's willing to make this trade. He's going to give... Smalls, this 1927 Yankees ball signed by the entire team, Murderer's Row, like the most famous lineup in baseball history, Yep, just for this chewed-up Babe Ruth ball. Because he's this blind guy. I mean, what's he going to do with it? Why does he care who signed it? (laughs) Why does he need to make a trade then? I still feel like if I'm Bill, I'd be like, well, this is a great ball, and I'm a huge fan, and this is amazing, but can I have the ball that my dad gave me? That's a good point. Well, I think... If you look closely in the booth, well, I don't even think you left to look that closely. I mean, the camera pans to it. He has he does have the, the murderer's row ball. He has the ball that they 
signed themselves right. with the extra okay, E yeah, on yeah. Ruth, and he has the chewed up ball. He right. has all three next to each other. Bill's still alive at that point, by the way, but... Is he? No. <laughs> Looks like Bill was probably smoking a lot of cigarettes. Thinking, I don't think yeah. he made it to the 90s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the movie should have just ended with Bill burying his stepson in the backyard, but somehow this... Ma- <laughs> In the same neighborhood, there's multiple baseballs signed by Babe Ruth, right. like only a couple of houses away. <laughs> so everything kind of works out. They make this deal with Mr. Myrtle that they're going to come over and talk about baseball. I do think that James Earl Jones was in the Sandlot, too, by the way. Oh, wow. I said no original cast members. I do think I, I meant none of the kids. I think James Earl Jones was in the second one. On IMDb, the second one has a worse score than the third one. Oh, I think Luke Perry is in the second one. Okay, well, that makes me more interested. Or maybe he's in the third one. He's in one of them. (laughs) Anyway, at the end of the movie, Scotty's playing catch with Bill again, and I just have to wonder why Scotty is using that shit glove, which apparently broke at one point. Did you notice that? He's using the shitty glove at the end. Oh, no, I don't know He's not using the glove. Benny gave him a glove. Yeah, Benny gives him the good glove. Benny gives him the good hat. He gets that fish hat back out. (laughs) Which he's wearing in the, well, he's wearing like a version of that in the booth at the end, I think, isn't No, it? he's wearing a Dodgers hat. Oh, is he? Okay. And it is like a regular fitted hat like the players wear, which I right. thought was like kind of nerdy because he's wearing like that suit. And he's like carrying a briefcase. Yeah, he's yeah. got that Dodgers right. hat on. <laughs> Scotty is like such a jock sniffer. Oh, I know. It's like, oh, God, dude, get a life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like their play-by-play guy, but I'm just like, ugh. Probably like a hugely successful. What an unbearable yeah. homer. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing a hat. Be yeah. professional. <laughs> Maybe he's on radio only. Hopefully. Let's go through the updates that he gives on all the other guys. So, yeah, yeah, goes to military school. <laughs> the updates are so dumb and random. Right. I hate them, actually. Oh, man. Because they're, they're fake. Like, okay, I don't yeah. like that it's like, well, other people have invented a mini mall. You can't just say your character did. <laughs> you can't just say, yeah, yeah, invented bungee jumping. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think that there would be two trademark creations out of this group. <laughs> this group of winners. Right. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his whole claim to fame should have been that he coined the phrase Pervin on the dish, <laughs> which I'm sure he didn't, but still, it was still great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, went to military school, then the army, then bungee jumping. The joke is because he was the guy that was suspended by one of their stupid things All to right, get the ball I get back. it, yeah. Bertram got really into the 60s and no one ever really saw him again, which is dark. And I remember even as a kid thinking like, oh, wow, what does that mean? Right. Is he dead? Yeah. <laughs> he was like killed by some drifter and buried in a field. Right. Like the pretend brother and there will be blood. <laughs> it's just like in Mad Men with Roger Sterling's daughter, you know, those people just like yeah went off to be, you know, hippies in a cabin out in the countryside. Yeah. That's Bertram. Yep. But I do think it's funny that he was in the miniseries of the 60s and then never acted again. <laughs> that is apropos. Timmy and Tommy were an architect and contractor team, and they built playground equipment, tree houses, and then eventually invented mini malls. Right. I also think it's annoying that the narration always does those pauses, like, you're not going to believe this. Like he always He does that through the entire movie. <laughs> I mean, I get it. This dude wrote it and he directed it, but get somebody else to do the narration. Come on, man. <laughs> Squints. Oh, the best. Boy. It worked out the best for Squints. Married Wendy Peppercorn. They have nine kids. Right. Now, 
this of course is funny to children because that's a sex here. joke yeah. for kids right in reality that's horrifying and it sounds like such a nightmare yes and probably like a lot of poverty involved here well they bought the drugstore in eh, town okay. the one that he came out of when he saw her and that's then- true pharmacists do well Wendy Peppercorn turns out was like one of those hot teachers who sleep with like their young students. That's right. That you keep yeah. hearing about. Squint seems like a lot younger than her. Oh, absolutely. That's gonna make like when did they get together as a couple? I when don't would know, that man, have been appropriate? I am a hundred percent in on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from the Squint's perspective, you're like, yes, this is awesome. But yeah. from like society, you're like, oof. Sure, it's frowned upon. That's weird. But that's okay. She's like, you know what? I never got over that little kid that made out with right, me. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't get together till it was all legal, so. Okay. Ham became a pro wrestler known as the great Hambino. Okay. <laughs> it stinks. <Yeah. laughs> De Nunez made it all the way to AAA ball, but never to the pros. He owns his own business, and now he coaches his son's little league team known as the Heaters. Because he referred to his pitch as the heater That's throughout right. the movie. Yeah. I like that. I like I like the idea of like, well, he really did have some talent, you know? Yeah. He kind of became like his dad from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Like, taking him and his brother to play ice hockey. That's true. Benny, after the incident with the Beast, whose real name is Hercules. That's right. Becomes Benny the Jet Rodriguez from then on. He did he make it to the show. Goes pro and plays well into his 40s, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess now is time. I mean, okay, so the movie takes place in 1962. I personally feel like the end of the movie is supposed to be present day, which at the very latest then you would say is 92 or whatever when they were filming it, 92, 93. So that's 30 years later. Yeah. Benny the Jet has to have at least been 13 in 1962. There's no way he's younger than that. Okay, he's I would agree with that. A half foot taller than the rest of them. He looks like he's <laughs> most of the way through puberty. So he's what, 43 then? Yeah, I mean, when he's listen, stealing he's home in the twilight at the end of, of his career. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Ricky Henderson still like stole base in his 40s, didn't he? <laughs> home though. <laughs> yeah. No. Though I will say, I think. Stealing home is like the craziest move in fucking sports. Yeah, and it's wild, but I think that would be a cool way to end it if like the time frame made sense to me. If you think about, I don't it, think for I think most of us second, didn't stop though. I think what I think a lot of us didn't stop and like do the math. There, like we're we're well, yeah. Okay. When you're a kid, you don't notice it, but like as an adult, I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, I'm fine with just the epicness of just you know. We could say that maybe it's like taking place in like the mid to late eighties. Yeah. And he's younger. I think I'm okay with that, yeah. Benny the they Jet They say Rodriguez, the Jets lost a step. With that mustache, stealing home, uh, I'm 100%. I wrote one thing down about it. The gayest moment in mainstream American film, in my opinion. Wow. The thumbs up between the two of them. Yeah. And I'm including scenes that have, or movies that have gay sex scenes. Right. Is, isn't that what's implied here with the mustache and the thumbs up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Benny kind of actually has like a Freddie Mercury type look. Yeah, I, I felt that too. Right. I definitely thought that. I thought that's what they were going for with the mustache. Yeah, actually, like back in the locker room after the game when he left, he just had like a cut off leather vest <laughs> that he just wore, nothing underneath. Just giving thumbs up to right. everybody. <laughs> I also like when he's running home and it's like this big dramatic moment and then he scores and he's safe. It was a close play though. Scotty Smalls is so far away from the microphone and still calling the oh, play. Oh, right, yeah. 
It's like, dude, not what, a what is that going to sound like on the air? He's giving high fives to people? Well, he was caught up in the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty cool ending that Benny makes it. They stay friends. They stay connected. Although it, what, an unlikely career path for both of them. For, to be two friends, one makes it to play for basically the hometown team, and the other one grows up to be the commentator for that hometown team. Yeah. Unlikely. Okay, yeah. I also thought it was funny that when they were doing the updates and they were showing the kids like throwing the ball around the diamond and everything and he was saying what happened to everybody. Right. And he was saying like, well, once a kid moved, we never replaced him on the team and just kept playing as if they were there. And eventually Scotty's the last one to move away from the neighborhood. So I was like, well, when they got down to like three or four, they were still just playing like baseball. Like right. there was a full team there. Like, I what know, does that, that mean? Once you lost like two to three, I would I'd be like, well, we're done. But also, it's I'm not thinking, happening like, anymore. There was probably other kids they could have got. Well, plus, I'm thinking from this group of kids, like, there was a few that weren't leaving town. You know what I mean? Oh, they, yeah. They weren't going to college. Well, yeah, right? Squints, how did he marry Wendy Peppercorn and buy the drugstore? I know. I, it doesn't make any that, I know. That's crazy. <laughs> that's what I mean when I say, like, not every detail of this movie is, like, well thought out. I mean, there's right. a lot of, like, very generic, this sounds good, yeah. but let's contradict it a scene later with some other thing that sounds good it's like well come on (laughs) i'm good though i mean you know you think you're building to a part where it's like you don't know if benny's like gonna get stabbed in the neck at a fast food restaurant (laughs) (laughs) no vietnam stuff well i mean it's a kid's movie i mean i don't think (laughs) the darkest they went was that benny was bertram got into the 60s and no one ever saw him again which is open to interpretation okay yeah penny got drafted and fell out of a helicopter into a river and broke his legs (laughs) was paralyzed from the waist down. oh (laughs) no and then like freaked out when he thought some vietnamese prostitute was being mean to him (laughs) okay so let's talk about the defamation suit really quick okay wow 1998 michael polidorus sued 20th century fox and the producers of the film for defamation. Polidorus, a childhood classmate of David Mickey Evans, the writer and director of The Sandlot, claimed that the character Michael Squints Polidorus, which oh, is wow. almost the exact same name, yeah, that's crazy. was derogatory and caused him shame and humiliation. I'd be like, first of all, dude, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it actually le- makes you actually, look like a yeah, legend. We're, we're building a statue of your character. <laughs> the greatest. You want to talk about the greatest moments in the history right. of forever? Yeah. How about this magic moment? <laughs> Eventually, the trial court found in favor of the filmmakers, and the finding was affirmed by the California Court of Appeal. Now, you might be thinking, like, okay, well, that's just a little bit of trivia about this movie, but it's actually a landmark case in the sense that it's a precedent for allowing writers and filmmakers to base characters more closely off of real people, All right. which is always up in the air because. You know, many times you will see that thing at the end of the film. Yeah. This is not based on anybody all real. All, you know, similarities are right. purely coincidental or whatever. Because you could always potentially be open to lawsuits or whatever if you're taking from real life. But this allows for a certain amount of creative license, I think. And I'm sure there are other examples. I don't think the Sandlot case is like the only one. But, you know, it went to court and it went through appeals and almost went to the California Supreme Court, but then they decided not to hear it, so wow. it, it stuck with the original ruling. Yeah, I mean, a lot of dedication from this guy to really carry on this lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shame and humiliation. 
It's like, come on, dude. Two directed video sequels, The Sandlot 2 in 2005, only had James Earl Jones. It had a completely new Sandlot crew, but it was written and directed by David Mickey Evans, who, outside of The Sandlot, never really had much wow. success. He wrote the, the movie... The Sandlot 2 came out in 2005? Yeah, well, he did a lot of other movies in between. I know, I just, I feel like I, I, I have no memory of that coming out. It was direct-to-video. Yeah. Well, okay. But I still feel like... <laughs> Why would you know about it? I don't It was know. probably like a, you, were you invested in the Disney Channel in Sandlot? I kind of was, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, m- maybe not by that point, but I did used to watch the Disney Channel a lot, even into high school. He did, like, Radio Flyer, which ended up being directed by Richard Donner, who did, like, The Goonies, and he was supposed to direct it as his first movie okay. i think that was like what late 80s early 90s before yeah. the sandlot and they took him off as director and they're oh, like no. you can't do it and radio flyer was kind of a bomb but then he wrote and directed the sandlot which like i said made money and so he then was able to do a few other movies it got progressively more sad i think one oh, of them man. was first kid the sinbad movie okay no i don't remember that one beethoven's third oh, beethoven's boy. fourth a movie called Barely Legal, which I'm assuming is like a National Lampoon's like Those sex Beethoven comedy. people were like, well, he's kind of got the market on dog movies. Yeah. The Sandlot 2, The Final Season, which I'm, it looks like another baseball movie, with Sean Astin and Powers Booth and Rachel Lee Cook. Oh, I thought you were saying The Sandlot 2 was like no, no, no. hyphen or whatever. No, no, no. This is another colon. movie in 2007 called The Final Season. The Final Season, okay. Which has a 6.7 on IMDb, which is not that bad for him, considering after that he followed it up with Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jr. Oh, TV no. movie. Wow. So things didn't quite go great. I mean, he wrote Ed, that baseball movie with a monkey. Oh, wow. And a couple Sad. of other things. So by the time they did The Sandlot, Heading home in 2007, they didn't even have David Mickey Evans on board. Different director. Luke Perry is in it, and they had the OG Squints come back. Oh, wow. But there's like a time travel element. Oh, no. Where I think Luke Perry goes back in time to when he was like a kid in the 70s. So like that action obviously would take place like after the original Sandlot or something. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, in 2018, a prequel was announced, and David Mickey Evans is doing that. It's, I don't know when that's going to happen. It or seems what it would possibly even be. Separate. It almost seems separate from this other announcement, which is a TV series with the original cast is in the works for Disney Plus, Disney's new I mean, streaming service. If it's a prequel, does that mean that Smalls isn't in it? Or is it about Smalls without the other kids? Well, I do think that The Sandlot 2 was about his brother, who hasn't been born yet, so he would have been like a lot younger. Okay. But I don't know. The prequel almost seems like no one's going to ever know about, about it. it and probably yeah. never going to happen. Right. The Disney Plus series, I mean, who knows? I mean, it might be in the works, and then Disney might not pick it up, so it may never happen. But apparently the original cast is in the mix. I don't, I don't think we need it. how they what can the make that work. Yeah. Because those guys will be adults, right? Right. But those guys I think, wouldn't... I believe that's how that works. Yeah, I think they are adults. Yeah, but they wouldn't be adults in 2019. They would probably be either dead... Or very old. Well, you don't think they wouldn't be guys like in their twenties. You think it's going to take place in present time too? No, I don't. But does that seem like a show that Disney Plus is going to really be interested in? I don't think to make a a show show that that takes place like in the (laughs) eighties. The dog, it's still the same dog. 
Well, James Earl I mean, Jones. Is Benny going to be playing for the Dodgers? Is it just about his? I know. That's what I was like. Right. Well, I don't understand how this is all. Like, are they going to retcon? Yeah. Is <laughs> are we going to have like a bunch of scenes? Uh, is like Marley Shelton back in the mix, and it's going to be? Oh like, God, I hope. And, and like we see them and their nine friggin' kids. <laughs> yeah, that seems like it's his own show. Yeah. Are the uh, updates that Smalls gives at the end of the original Sandlot all going to be true? Like, are they going to stick to all that stuff? <laughs> Ham is going to be the great Hambino, a wrestler, and... If so, what's, like, the story of the show? But, like, dude, it says the original cast. I told you, most of those kids, like, haven't acted in, like, 25 years. I don't understand how this would ever work. I feel like it's not going to. If it was anything else, I would be, like, very convinced it probably won't happen, but Disney doesn't seem... To me, like they would just announce this and then not That's true. do it. Yeah, and they have no reason not to. They can do whatever they want. You know, they want a lot of content and a lot of exclusive content for the streaming service, and they're probably trying to appeal to all different demographics. All so, right. like, That's a good point. There are people our age who would be like, oh, man, I remember the Sandlot yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I, it like seems us. like there's so many hurdles <laughs> to get over. Right. Making it fit with like, everything that happened in the original movie. You can throw out the two sequels, obviously, but if they start changing things that get said in the first movie people aren't gonna like that two most of those people don't act anymore that's the biggest hurdle it's like <laughs> we're bertram got lost in the 60s but i'm just accepting yeah well where are they gonna find him i'm just accepting that that's our regardless i mean that's already done like this the contracts have been signed the well yeah i'm not saying they can't get those people yeah. but i'm just saying like they're probably gonna be terrible oh i'm sure they're gonna be terrible just because you were like reasonably charming as a child actor doesn't mean it's and how be many the same of them now. can we even say that about in this movie three yeah there isn't a big spotlight on a lot of them yeah you would say like timmy and tommy barely speak and one of them is just repeating the other right bertram barely speaks he's the one that has cha and that scene is actually kind of poorly acted when he's <laughs> <Yes>. like cha <laughs> so it's basically like benny who hasn't acted since like 97 the main guy who has acted a lot and presumably gotten better. Right. Still not moving the needle. And for me. Ham, he acted a decent he still acts. So those I mean, you could build it around those three and the other ones could kind of just fade into the background. It's a little squints, but he doesn't act like a ton. True. Although he was in Sandlot two All right. or three, whatever. I don't know. Should we wrap this thing yeah, up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. The Sandlot. <laughs> I feel like you've no, talked no. me out of liking it. I like it. I don't anymore. <laughs> We switched position. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I've always liked it. Okay. I do think that some things need to be pointed out. I mean, it's, yeah. I feel like there's some good stuff there. I wish that there wasn't some of the other stuff. And it I, was a I'm little, with you on that, yeah. I could do with less there's of a, the dog stuff. I think there's just like a couple of scenes that really do it for me. Yeah, there's some good scenes. Okay. And we'll it settle on that. And if you were a kid when this movie came out and you were into baseball and stuff, I mean, this is like manna from heaven. I mean, this is exactly what you want. Okay. It's got a little bit of the baseball mysticism with Babe Ruth. It's got a big dog. And it's got, you know, you're starting to like girls. And then you got Wendy Peppercorn. The hottest girl of all time. (laughs) And I mean, you know, I don't know how old she was whenever this movie was made, but she was older than me. I know that. I think she was 18. and I think she was like 19 by the time it actually premiered. I love that she went on to have like a pretty good career. Oh, absolutely. All right. So, folks, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.
jerk Harold. He wants me to give him a share of my house. That house belongs to me. He has no rights. I am not giving him a penny. Who does he think he is? He's your brother. He is always bugging me about my house. Fifteen years ago, we agreed that house belongs to me. Now the value of the house is going up and he's seeing dollar signs. Everything goes wrong at once. Nobody wants to help me, and I'm dying. You're not dying, Mom. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer.